I'm going to invite you at this time, if you've got your Bibles, uh, to go ahead and open up to Revelation. Revelation, of course, is the last book in the New Testament. Uh, Revelation 21 is where we're going to be at today. So go ahead and find that in your Bibles, uh, or you can pull that up on your phone or on your tablet, however that works for you. Uh, We're going to get there in just a moment. As I mentioned earlier this morning, uh, today is the last day of our sermon series, Long Story Short. And over the past 11 weeks, uh, we've been looking at the rhythm of God, how God reveals himself to us. This is not just a book. This is God's story. And it's not just God's story. It is God saying, let me tell you who I am. It's God revealing his very nature, his very character, his very essence with us. And the theological term is called progressive revelation. And it simply means this, that God is so big, so expansive, so beyond our comprehension that God says, I'm going to give it to you bit by bit, little chunks, little pieces at a time, so you can really understand who I am and uh, my role uh, in the world and who you are as my people uh, in this world, my creation. And so today we're going to look uh, at the end of the story, at the end of the book. Now you might be tempted to think to yourself, well, it probably ends and they all lived happily ever after or something like that, right? But that is not the story of the Bible. That is not God's story. Because God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ and says, in this world, you will have trouble. Life is going to be hard. How many of you know that? Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is painful. Life is a struggle. But Jesus comes to us and says, it's going to get better. It's going to get so much better that you cannot imagine. You cannot even fathom how good it's going to get. But I'm going to give you just a little glimpse into the future, just a tiny sliver to look into what heaven is going to look like. And you're not going to get it all. You're not going to understand it all. But let me tell you a little bit about what the future looks like, because it's going to be good. It's going to be happily forever after. And that's really good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather around your word this morning, Lord. We ask, God, that you would come to us, to meet us, um, Lord, in the midst of uh, things we don't understand. But, God, you promise to reveal yourself to us in your word and in one another and in this worship. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Winston Churchill was one of the greatest leaders of the 20th century. I'm a big fan of Winston Churchill. He taught us so much. And of course, Churchill led through some of the darkest days in global history. And he was not only uh, brilliant, uh, he was also winsome and funny and creative. And he loved to share his wisdom and wit with all who would listen. And Winston Churchill, before he died, pre-planned his funeral. And as I think about the book of Revelation and the end of the story, I think of Winston Churchill because he had one more teaching that he wanted to teach us and the world through his funeral. 
And so as they, people gathered together uh, for Winston Churchill's funeral at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, England, there was this long procession, horse-drawn carriage, and they pulled up to St. Paul's, they went inside, and they gathered around the casket in this great, big, massive cathedral. And as they gathered together, Churchill wanted to remind them that it was the end of a really important time in the life of the world, in the life of all that's going on. And so what he wanted to do is to, to make a statement and remind us about endings and what endings oftentimes teach us. So what Churchill did is in the dome, he had a bugler getting ready to play. And at the appointed time, they played the song Taps. And those of, us who have, uh, those of you who have served in the armed forces know Taps is that song that proclaims it's over. It's done. It's that point in time where the flag comes down. The sun is setting. And Taps proclaims to us and the world that something is coming to an end. So I want to play just a little bit of Taps for you this morning to kind of set the stage for the book of Revelation. Do you feel it? Feel that it's over, that it's ending? And in many ways, that is what the book of Revelation is about. It's this idea of things have come to an end. Things have come to a close. But Churchill, in Churchillian fashion, he wanted to make a statement. Not at his funeral that, that things were all bad and things were over, but he wanted to remind them to keep living, to keep going. And so immediately after the bugler finished playing taps, he had another bugler in another part of the dome at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and he played the song for them, Reva Lee, another song that we know that our United States military uh, plays and reminds us of another message. Here it is. It's a different tune, isn't it? It's a song of get up, get out of bed, let's go. Don't just lay there, let's move. I think in many ways, this is really the point of the book of Revelation. While it is an ending, it's also a beginning. It's a beginning to remind us to get up, let's go. There's so much more for us to explore. 
There's so much more for us to see. There's so many more possibilities that can, we can even possibly imagine in this world. He is the God of possibilities. And so we get this book called Revelation. And the Apostle John wrote this in about 90 A.D., And things were pretty bad in 90 AD. All the other disciples had been martyred for their faith. John was now an old man, and he had been banished to the island of Patmos. Here he is on a Greek island, and if you've ever been to a Greek island, it wasn't one of those Greek islands. It was a penal colony. And there was John in prison on this island that he could not escape, and yet God said, I'm not finished. I've got more to say to you, John. I've got more to use your life to share with the world. And so John starts out in the book of Revelation. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, it's an interesting book. He starts out kind of explaining these these seven letters to the, the seven tribes and the seven churches And then pretty soon there's seven trumpets and seven scrolls and seven bowls. There's lots of numbers of seven. And then by the time we get to Revelation 4 and 5, all of a sudden we get this glimpse into heaven, this worship scene. And there are people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue gathered around the throne proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, just like we sang this morning. It's this great worship scene that we can't hardly imagine. And there's angels there, and they've got all these eyes sticking out all over the place, and they're flapping their wings. And there's this surreal experience that as we read the book of Revelation and we're going through it, we're thinking to ourselves, I don't get it. This is too much. This is extraordinary. It sounds like something science fiction, almost cartoon-like, or you know, Marvel superhero or something like that. We just kind of go, ah, oh, that's, that's nice. We don't really get it. And then pretty soon a battle breaks out. It's the apocalypse. It's the battle against good and evil, against God and Satan. And there's all sorts of uh, imagery of wars and battles going on. It's the battle of Armageddon. And we look at it and we read it and we go, whoa, that's pretty interesting. But I don't really get it, because it's different. It's unusual. So I'm going to invite us to go to Revelation 21, all the way to the end of Revelation. Kind of want to set the stage for you. And Jesus is speaking in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy sea, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne, and that's Jesus, said, I am making all things new. Now, as we read the book of Revelation uh, and even this particular text, our mind immediately goes to questions. 
when's this going to happen? Right? We immediately want to know, when's this going to happen? What's it going to look like? Who's going to be there? How are all these things going to happen? And our minds just get filled with lots and lots of questions about the book of Revelation and the future times, the end times, and heaven. What's it going to look like? How's God going to do it? What's the rapture going to look like? How long is the tribulation going to take? I want to share with you this morning that Jesus warns us we're not going to know. We're not going to know a lot of things about the end times and what it's going to look like. But have you ever noticed that that doesn't stop a lot of people from making all sorts of proclamations about the end times? And they'll set a date and say, it's going to happen on this day. And that day comes and goes, and they look a little bit foolish. Oh, I was wrong. I, I misread the scripture a little bit, right? Jesus tells us, you're not going to know the time or what it's all going to look like. I think in many ways, so much of our understanding of the end times, of how the world comes crashing apart and how God recycles it all and puts it all back together in a wonderful uh, new earth and new heaven, it's beyond our knowing. It's beyond our understanding. And I will tell you, as the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church, it is above my pay grade to know all these things. In fact, when I read the book of Revelation... I have more questions than I do have answers. And so if you came here this morning hoping and expecting that I was going to unpack all this for you, you are going to be disappointed. I think so much where God is inviting us to go into the future, into heaven, to be with Jesus around the throne is truly a mystery. And this morning, I want to put a, a, a definition of, of mystery uh, up here. I, I'm going to just share this. This is what I think a mystery is. Something with more meaning than we can comprehend. I just think it's too much. I think it's too much for us to truly understand uh, what, uh, what all, how God's going to do it all. I think it's a mystery. And it's not that we don't engage in it, but we can't obsess over it get overly concerned about it. See, I think a much better scripture text to lead us and guide us through the book of Revelation comes from Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think it's a better place to start. Because I think when we fear, when we have a posture of humility before God, that's when things start to enter into our minds and into our hearts, when we truly understand. It's not so much about all the stuff out there, but it's having that fear, that honor, and that respect for God. And when we do, when we have that posture of humility, God is going to speak to us and give us that wisdom that we so long desire. There's a Greek Orthodox priest uh, who I think just kind of encapsulates this really well. This is what he says. He, see, he writes this, we see that it is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question, to make, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. God is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of of our wonder. I like that. I hope that resonates with you a little bit. That as we think about who God is, that he invites us into the wonder, into the mystery, to the saying, wow, who are you, God? 
speak to us. See, I think we could go through all 22 chapters of the book of Revelations, all uh, 404 uh, verses, and all 11,952 words of the book of Revelation. I think we could spend weeks and weeks, months and months, years and years studying the book of Revelation. And I think on the other side, we would come out going, I don't get it. I got questions. I don't understand what's going on here. I think one of the reasons we can't understand the book of Revelation, this mystery, like we'd like to understand it, is because it is so far beyond our human comprehension. These are things in the future that are going to happen. These are things in the heavenly realms that are going to happen. And I know we're Americans, we think we're smart, we think we're educated, we think we understand things, but we are also bound in time, and there are some things that we simply cannot understand. So I want to share with you a quote, another quote this morning uh, from uh, an author by the name of uh, Michael Crichton. Crichton. Maybe you've read his book, Timeline. There's a great uh, quote in this book that I think really helps unpack a little bit what he's saying uh, and helps us to understand about this mystery. He says, if you were to say to a physicist in 1899 that in 1999, 100 years later, that moving images would be transmitted into homes all around the world from satellites in the sky, that bombs of unimaginable power would threaten the species, that antibiotics would abolish infectious disease, but the disease would fight back, that women, women would have the right to vote, and that pills could control reproduction, and that millions of people would take off every hour into the air, taking off and landing without human touch, that you could cross the Atlantic at 2,000 miles per hour, that humankind could travel to the moon and then lose interest, that microscopes could see individual atoms, that people could carry telephones that weigh a few ounces, uh, and speak to people anywhere in the world without wires, that most of these miracles depended on something the size of a postage stamp, which utilizes a new theory called quantum mechanics. If you said all this to a physicist in 1899, he would pronounce you mad. Most of these developments could not have been predicted, could not even have been imagined in 1899 because the prevailing scientific theory said they were impossible. I think it's a great illustration for what we're trying to deal with here in the book of Revelation. Just a hundred years ago, People could not imagine what our lives are like. And if we tried to explain it to them, they would look at us and go, huh? That's impossible. Can you imagine a hundred years from now, someone were to walk into this room, have the microphone, and start explaining to us what life on this earth is going to be like? We'd be like, what? Or 200 years into the future? Or 500 years into the future? I mean, we just wouldn't get it, right? Now, that's, of course, if Jesus doesn't come sooner. And he might come sooner, and I'm okay if he comes sooner. Anybody else okay if Jesus comes sooner? Yeah. I'm okay if Jesus just comes and just makes it all new right here, right now. That'd be a good thing. 
But I think what Crichton is doing is he's describing to us that we are very finite human beings, that there's only so much we can understand. I once heard Rick Warren say it this way, trying to explain heaven is like trying to explain uh, to human beings uh, is like trying to explain the internet to an ant. Right? That ant is just not capable of understanding the complexity and all that is going on, uh, of course, with the internet. And I don't either, so I'm probably in, in the same camp as the ant, right? But I think all of us are in the same camp as it relates to the future and how God is explaining to us through the book of Revelation what is going on. And so much of it, we just get stuck on that's impossible. It's just impossible. How do those things even happen? You know, I'm reminded that when Jesus walked on the earth, there was no category for a human being walking on water. That was impossible. When Jesus showed up at that wedding in Cana, there was, it was impossible to turn water into wine. When Jesus healed a blind man from birth, everybody said, that's impossible. And of course, when Jesus came out of the tomb, they said, it's impossible. I think that's the great story, the resurrection, is that Jesus has come to us. He says, that word impossible, I've gotten rid of it. He even tells us point blank, with God, all things are possible. I think that's a great lesson for us, especially as Christ followers that all things are possible. The American poet Emily Dickinson once uh, wrote a poem called I Dwell in Possibility. And I think that's really good theology because she was not satisfied with the here and now, but she was open to possibilities. And I think as Jesus followers, we ought to be the most optimistic people on the planet because we worship, we serve a God of possible. Jesus says all things are possible. And yet oftentimes as Christ followers, myself included, we walk around, we live our days as if we are limited, as if things are impossible. And God says no. All things are possible. Reminds us. Jesus has defeated death. It's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. God, make things here like they are in heaven. Make things possible, especially those things that we don't think are possible. And so this morning, as we kind of want to pull this together a little bit, what do we do with the book of Revelation? What do we do with it? I think there's a temptation to just kind of say, ah, we can't know that stuff. It's too out there. It's too much in the future. And I think there's some truth to that. There is a great mystery of I shared with you this morning. But there are many details in the book of Revelation that truly speak to us and help us to understand who God is and who we are as God's creation. One of those details, um, I'm going to take you all the way back to the book of Genesis. Many of you know, probably most of you know, even all of you know, that in the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden, there was this tree of life. Remember the tree of life? And it had on the tree of life this forbidden fruit. 
God came to Adam and Eve and said, you guys can do anything you want uh, in the garden, enjoy it, just don't eat from the tree of life. And they did. And of course, that's how things fell apart in God's relationship with humankind, split in two, and things went really south from there. But in the book of Revelation, I kind of want to bookend this for you. The tree of life shows back up in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Here's what it says. The Spirit of God and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears says, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. And let anyone uh, who desires drink freely from the water of life. Sorry, I read the wrong text. Blessed are those who wash their robes, meaning those who have put on righteousness in Christ. We'll get to that other one. Sorry, Debbie. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. In the book of Revelation, when we see the tree of life again, we get to eat the fruit. I think that's pretty cool. Because what that is proclaiming to us in the book of Revelation is that we are in relationship with God again. That that sin no longer separates us. Tiny little detail about the tree of life bookended. It's meant to give us hope and encouragement. So I want to close now with three, uh, three uh, ideas for what we can do now uh, with with the book of Revelation. Number one, start every day at the judgment seat. There we go. Start every day at the judgment seat. What that means simply, Stephen Covey says, or once wrote, begin with the end in mind. Start every day acknowledging and recognizing that we are finite human beings. I have a bold prediction to make all of us are going to end up in the same place. We're all going to end up in the judgment seats. We're going to all going to end before Jesus someday. We're going to stand before him and we're going to have a conversation. And the book of Revelation reminds us, are you ready for that conversation? And I think as Christ followers, what I want you to hear is you ought not fear that conversation. That is not a conversation of doom and gloom and judgment. That is a conversation of, hey, welcome. I'm glad you're here. As Jesus' followers, we ought not to fear the judgment seat, that place where we meet Jesus. Because Jesus took care of our sins 2,000 years ago on the cross. Amen? And when we get to the judgment seat, we show up. God says, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for accepting what my son, Jesus Christ, did on the cross. So glad you're here. We got to begin every single day asking ourselves, am I ready for that day to go to the judgment seat? Number two, go get some scars. Go get some scars. You know, there's an old legend uh, that King Arthur, when he and uh, the knights would go out battling, they would come back and, and King Arthur would say, hey, show me your scars. 
And if his soldiers, his warriors came back and said, I don't have any scars, he would say, then get back out there. Go get some scars. Go battle. Go to battle. Go do what you need to do. I think about scars. I think about my own scars. I got a scar here once I bumped my chin on a swimming pool and it bled. Another time I stuck a pencil through my finger and it, well, there's still lead in my finger. Another time I cut myself uh, on my thumb uh, with metal and it just, I should have gone to get stitches. Anybody else should have ever gone to get stitches and you didn't do that? Yeah, I've got one of those scars. So I've got scars on my body, right? And these scars remind me of the wounds that I've experienced. And not only do they remind me of the wounds that I've experienced, that I have overcome those wounds. And I think about the Apostle John and the wounds that he experienced. Tradition is that John was never martyred for his faith, but he was dipped into a a cauldron of boiling water. John had uh, sores all over his body for proclaiming Jesus. His entire body was filled with scars. Then I think about the scars of Jesus Christ on his hands and on his feet. They proclaim, look what I've done for you, my love for you. And the scars on Jesus' life remind us that he overcame those scars. See, I think too often we think the goal of life is just to kind of slide into death and get there safely. It's not the purpose of life, getting to death safely. The purpose of life is to go to battle, to fight, to struggle, to go through the hardships to get some scars for Jesus. And we do these things with love and patience and courage and hope. But make no mistake about it, we are called to go get some scars. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. And number three, come. The book of Revelation ends with an invitation. Now we're going to go back to that text I read earlier. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears me say, come. And let anyone who is thirsty, come. And let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. The book of Revelation ends with an invitation. An invitation to come. To drink from the waters of life. If there's anything I want you to hear in God's story from Genesis through Revelation over the past 12 weeks, it's the invitation to come. Come and allow Jesus to meet you, to forgive you, to transform you. And then someday, welcome you to eternity with him forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we continue to go through your story, your word, you invite us, you remind us, God, that there's so much the story still yet to be written. God, we thank you for the book of Revelation, the ways in which you give us a sneak peek into the heavenly realms, a sneak peek into the future, into things that we cannot understand, God. 
in the things that our mind say are impossible. And yet, God, you remind us that you are the God who makes all things possible. So, God, as we serve you, as we worship you, as we walk with you, remind us, God, that you are not finished with our lives as well. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.